Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hello and welcome. Today I'm joined by Siege, a therapist in the Bay Area. She's pregnant and about to give birth and we have a lovely chat. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Pleasure to have you. So just to get started, can you tell me a little bit about sort of as a child, what you were expecting for your life and sort of what you envisioned? Yeah, I think that I had kind of a normal view of the arc of my life that I would probably find a partner and get married and have a baby, but I wasn't preoccupied or overly drawn or obsessed with the idea of having a child. I wasn't someone who was around younger babies and didn't have much experience with them, nor did I have like this over-the-top strong draw to children until my friends started having kids. And at that point, I had my own arc from kind of hesitantly ambivalent to more and more curious to, wow, I really want this. So there, there wasn't anything especially noteworthy in my childhood about my fantasy or my vision. I guess what was more noteworthy about my experience was what happened in my, I guess, late 20s. I am a therapist, and one of my first clients was a woman who was in her late 30s, and all of her friends were getting married and having kids, and she hadn't found a relationship and was feeling extremely anxious about it. And it was kind of this portal into a moment in time in this woman's life that I wouldn't have thought about if I hadn't been relating with her in such an intimate way. And it's funny because it landed for me kind of like, oh my gosh, that could be me. And even though I wasn't at an age where I was ready to really think about seriously having children, there was some understanding that, huh, this could actually not go how I might have originally planned. And it really made an impression on me to the extent that when I did my master's research paper, the topic was actually on the experience of single women in their mid to late 30s, specifically about their desire to have children and how they were navigating that in their lives. (laughs) Wow. So obviously, it hit me in a way that really got my attention. And there was some kind of almost strange premonition that, oh my gosh, that could be me, you know, which 10 years later ended up being the case, which is really interesting. So I'd say that 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 colored my thinking in some way about family. And I don't know that I necessarily therefore assumed that I would be in that situation, but there was some connection with that as a possibility that it might not look normal per se for me later in my life. So can you tell us a little bit about so what your path to motherhood ended up being? Yeah, it started around my 37th birthday. I got really clear that it was something that I really wanted to do and needed to take seriously. 
Before that, it was something I had sat with, but had a lot of ambivalences and concerns given my own attachment styles, my you know experience with my parents and particular needs around my lifestyle and habits that I, I was like, am I going to be a good mom? So after doing a lot of work in therapy and really exploring it, I decided that I wanted to make a firm commitment to the possibility of having a child And that I was going to pursue freezing my eggs as a way to kind of build in a plan for that in the event that I didn't meet someone soon. So I had initial consultations with three endocrinologists to pursue egg freezing. And the verdict was that my follicle count was very low and that egg freezing was not, there was not a good prognosis for that strategy. And in fact, one day I was at work and got a call from one of the doctors who was kind of very frank. And he said, you know, are you sure you don't want to just try now? Because you're probably going to have a much higher likelihood of getting pregnant than if we try to do all these cycles of egg freezing, you know? And I, I paused and I was like, you're, you're crazy. Like I'm single. (laughs) I'm not ready for that now. I hadn't really necessarily considered single motherhood at that point and kind of hung up the phone, like all stirred up (laughs) and thinking there's no way I'm going to do that. And then within the next couple months, I was like, wow, maybe that's something I should actually consider. And at that point started to make a list of possible known donors who I would ask if they were up for it. Had a couple of lunch dates with people nothing really panned out. (laughs) And eventually I got to the point where I was like, but I'm not ready to not have a partner. Like I still really want to give it a go. And so I continued my online dating and eventually met someone within that short period of time who I was really interested in. And I said to him very early on, I really want to have a child. And is that something you would want? And he said, yes, I very much want to be a father. I'm not sure that I'm ready. And I would want a year to be with you before I would consider that seriously, because I really want to be with the right person if I'm going to have a child with you. And so I did everything I could to kind of sweat my way through 11 months of that relationship. And it became very clear that he was still not ready and that it would in fact be quite a while until he would get to the point where he'd be ready to pursue that with me. So at that point, despite being very in love with him, I realized that I needed to either be willing to wait and potentially lose my window of fertility and have to consider other options or to move on without him. And I decided to end the relationship And literally within a week was online choosing donors and was pregnant three months later. Wow. And so did you use, just do IUIs or what did you do? I did natural at home IUI. I had narrowed it down to three and 
one just came out as the clear winner. That process only took a couple of weeks. And I was very clear in my being that this was the right donor for me. And then at that point, I thought, okay, well, it could take me six months to a year to get pregnant. Like I wasn't necessarily optimistic given my follicle count and my numbers that it would happen right away, which is why I really wanted to move forward sooner than later. And then I got pregnant the first try. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) It was a bit of a whirlwind, like it, you know, it was kind of unbelievable that I went from like being in a serious relationship to then being pregnant, not with his baby within three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And can you, I feel like that's a, a sort of a choice point a lot of women have to make in terms of being in a relationship where they're in love and the partner is not ready and they have to sort of make that really difficult call. Can you talk a little bit more about that process and maybe how, what you would recommend to other women who are in that situation? Yeah, I think for me, I had to dig really deep into my soul and consider what choice in the grand scheme of things would actually make me love and respect myself the most. And I knew that if I waited and tried to temper my longing and my readiness within a relationship that still wasn't totally 100% that I would regret it and that I needed to follow my deeper call and longing rather than kind of bypass that. (laughs) But that also meant really jumping off of a cliff and leaving, like trying to transition out of a relationship with someone I was deeply connected to and still in love with. And that is hard. (laughs) And it took a a while and in some ways is still in process of like really letting that go because I had been visioning him potentially being the father of my child. But I guess what I'd say is one of my strengths is that I do have a clear channel with my inner knowing and my intuition and feel like I'm pretty fiercely courageous in my ability to like jump into things that are so frigging terrifying and like trust that somehow, some way I'm going to survive it. And I feel really proud of myself that I was able to kind of get through that. It wasn't easy, but it, it was totally totally worth it to take that deep dive and like jump into fear and unknown rather than like try to protect myself from it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of my, my style and my gift is that I, I want to support people to take the leap, even though it's really scary. And that being scared doesn't mean there's something wrong. It just means that you're on the edge of your experience and there's a new frontier ahead of you that you don't know yet, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be bad. You know, it just means it's like unknown. And there's also really beautiful things on the other side of that. So I feel like I'm able to enjoy that now and feel like the inner strength and pride of jumping in. As my therapist says, like, it's kind of my strength and also my liability (laughs) that I like jump into things very quickly. But in the end, I was able to do the grieving work to land in the right place with it. And did you stay in contact with him? Has he been part of the process for you all the same? Yeah. I mean, I was still attached to him being the one to like come and put up my blackout curtains in my room because even though he's not the father, there's still some way that I think of him as that man in my life who's supposed to do those things for me, which 
may be healthy, it may not be healthy. But some of the hard conversations about circumcision, he was like the first person that I went to to consult about. And so he's, we still have a really great relationship. And he's very dear to me. And I feel like he will be in support of me and my child as our family grows. But I've had to let go of the possibility that he's my partner and the father of my child. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So you sort of covered this, but how would you say your path like differed from what you pictured throughout your life? Not necessarily as a kid, but throughout your life. I don't know that I expected that I would be a solo parent. And I've met some women who make that as their plan A. And I've met a lot who that was certainly not their plan A. And to be honest, I feel really good about the decision. (laughs) It was unexpected, but once I fell into my truth, it felt like the right decision. Beyond that, I don't know that I have a whole whole lot more about it. Anything in particular you felt like you needed to embrace in order to sort of feel like the, the single motherhood was a great option for you. I know that you obviously had to let go of this partner that felt really deeply in love and connected with, but anything else that you felt like you had to sort of let go of? You know, there's this notion that like a child needs to have another parent or a father or that that's what a family is supposed to look like. And that was there, but not my predominant letting go experience. I I think that there was something around thinking that I needed to find my potential partner before I had a child. And there is actually something really freeing about saying, okay, well, that's not happening now. And it may happen in the future. And actually, if I let go of that now, might I have a better chance of actually finding that in the future? Because trying to date while trying to get pregnant is really tricky. And trying to mastermind that wasn't really working at some point. And so I had to be willing to separate those two timelines around partnership and having a child. And life seemed to flow a lot more easily when I was able to uncouple those two things. Yeah, I I felt very similarly. I feel like I had yeah, we come with the assumption that they have to go together. And when you separate them, it's incredibly liberating. It really is. You told us a little bit about how you picked your donor, that it was really a, a lot of like a intuitive choice. Anything else you would say about how you, how you even got to the place where you were sort of narrowed down to three donors or anything about uh, any advice you would give to other women about how to pick a donor? Yeah. um, For me, it was important to have some Jewish descent in the family ancestry. So that was one of my primary filtering factors. I just feel really connected to my Judaism on a kind of cultural and ancestral level, not necessarily so much religiously, but it was important for me to have a donor who either was connected to that or somehow had it in their genetics. And then at that point, there are far fewer to choose from. (laughs) Another factor was I am a carrier for three recessive disorders. I had had my, I guess, genetic screening done while I was going through the egg freezing process. And so I was careful to select donors who I knew wouldn't have any overlap with being carriers. And I did have a consultation with the cryobank with the geneticist just to like rule out any high risk factors for the people that I was looking at. 
And then beyond that, I tended to be drawn to donors who the the celebrity lookalikes or the baby photos looked like the type of men that I would naturally be drawn to. <laughs> so I kind of have a type that I like. And the ones that I was attracted to had that similar quality or characteristic, whether it was, you know, the shape of their face or their their hair color, or eye color, there, that there was a natural attraction there, both with the baby photo and the lookalike photo that I'd be like, ooh, that, that person sparks me in a particular way. That was important. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Do you have any regrets about how you came a mother or on the road to motherhood? I don't. Actually, once I decided that I was going to move forward with my process, like I think I've said to you before, the gates just started opening. And there was this strange feeling that this process was going to continue to be kind of like the path of least resistance, unlike what my dating and relationship history had been, which sometimes felt like the path of most resistance. And again, you know, I don't know if I believe in karma or not, but there was some feeling that this the way that it was unfolding and blossoming told me that something is right about this in a way that other things have felt much more frustrating or not flowing or uneaseful. And so I've taken that as some kind of sign that there's something right about this choice and that my soul is unfolding in the right way. And that feels very encouraging and kind of supportive for my process. Nice. I love that. And I know that you are days away from your due date. So a little different than some of the other women that I've been talking to. So it's a very exciting moment in time. What has surprised you most about how things turned out? What has surprised me most is how little fear I'm experiencing. And sometimes I have to check myself and ask, am I in denial? Am I bypassing something? You know, am I dissociating around what is happening right now? Because I've felt so calm and and present and healthy and optimistic that I'm like, but wait a minute, childbirth is one of the most intense, excruciating things. Like, why am I not more scared? Or why am I not more scared that I'm going to have this being in my arms in a week? And I'm like, not freaking out about it for some reason. And I probably should be, right? So that's been a surprise. And, you know, I also realized that that could totally change and like things could get really hard and I could be super rocked and put out and probably some of that will happen. And yet I'm kind of like, all right, bring it. It's all part of the process. So I don't feel like I'm naive to that possibility. That's awesome. I love that. I don't think you need to be scared. (laughs) (laughs) What has being solo and pregnant been like for you? Has, Has anything in particular come up or has it been I mean, you're expressing that it's mainly been easy and just felt like, oh, yeah, I'm on the right path. But wondering if other things have been coming up or anything, any advice you'd give to other moms while they're pregnant? Yeah, I'd say that especially in my first trimester, which is where I experienced the most challenge physically and emotionally, that there were definitely times where 
I felt lonely or where's the person to come home to who gives me a back rub, who hears out my frustrating emotional meltdown for like whatever happened that day. (laughs) Some kind of longing for that person who's not a friend or a therapist who's just there because that's their job is to just be there. And as I've moved closer to the baby coming, I think I've been far less fixated on the lack of a partner or my longings to date or kind of be exploring or thinking about relationship than any other time in my life because I'm just so focused on getting ready for baby. It's like everything else kind of gets pushed out of focus. And I'm really enjoying it, actually. (laughs) It's really nice to not be as much in my normal longing or craving or even the loneliness or things like that. And I imagine that that could still come back. And so I've tried to find people in my life who, even if they're like not my partner, that they could be a go-to person who they're present, they're available, they can hold space, they can cuddle me, they can like try to meet some of those needs, some of those unmet needs that probably a partnered woman would have. Sometimes that's gone well and sometimes it feels just like more work and not worth the effort, honestly. (laughs) But I've tried to give myself permission to reach out to people when I feel like I really needed that um, and try to kind of swallow my pride and be vulnerable and be willing to receive that, even though it's kind of an unusual situation or arrangement or whatever. Can you tell us a little bit more about your research and how it's affecting you now or just even more about your research? Because that sounds really fascinating for people. Yeah, it was actually more of a phenomenological study based on interviews. So it wasn't a quantitative analysis. It was a qualitative analysis where I I think I interviewed maybe only three to five women about their experience. And what I found is that even in very alternative cultural milieus, like at that time in my life, you know, I was very involved with Burning Man and alternative culture, not necessarily the most mainstream white picket fence type of women. <laughs> And that what I found is that even women who were more exposed or open to alternative types of lifestyle and relationships, they still very much wanted to have a child and have a partner. And I think I was a little surprised by that because I kind of assumed that, well, there are many ways to approach this. You know, monogamy is only one model. Not all women necessarily want to have a child. And like, how do we normalize that experience? And it just so happened that the women who I interviewed kind of, despite their non-traditional lifestyles or preferences, like still really wanted those, what we would see as normal things, you know? So (laughs) that's what I remember. It was over 10 years ago, but I think that that was surprising to me. Yeah, that is really surprising. (laughs) Anything else you want to add about your situation that we haven't touched on? Or? I think that the two things that come to mind are, you know, I, I have a friend who's been considering solo parenthood and one of her concerns was what is it like to bring a child into the world knowing that they may not have a father in quotes, you know? And I realized at some point that 
I was so jumping into the experience that it's not something I actually really sat with and considered like, what is the impact on my child of my decision to do this? Is this all about me and my needs? Is it selfish? Am I really thinking about my child here or just like getting my need met? And I don't know that I've totally fleshed that out. It was just more of a like, aha moment where I realized that there was something I had kind of jumped over in my thinking process that I'll probably have to go back in the future and really think more about depending on how this does impact my child. And I have no regrets and I'm curious to see how my decision does play out. I certainly wouldn't be overly regretful or apologetic, but I might realize that there were things I hadn't considered as much that were important to think about. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like living in the Bay Area, you're not going to be met with sort of moral resistance to having a kid without a father. And I found too, I didn't think about it that much. I think because the sort of no one was pushing back and it was easy to say, well, all of the, you know, there's so many kids raised by single moms because the dad is not present for some reason. And I do think it is something, yeah, my son is like obsessed with men. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is, you know, a continuing sort of curiosity and question as well. Like, I think there's like a part of me that knows that my son's going to be fine. You know, I'm totally committed and I'm in there. And there is all this great research about like one stable, loving parent is what's really necessary. And yet, similarly to you, I didn't really contemplate it very deeply. It did come up. I had an encounter with a man who was actually European and traveling. And he had a very strong response to it in a way that really threw me off and was actually quite painful for me. He kind of had a bit of a diatribe about, you know, a son needing his father. And I left this interaction feeling extremely scarred and had to do some work around it and eventually was able to let it go. But it made me wonder if that was just a cultural difference that this is more common here perhaps than in other places. I'm not really sure, or if it was just his personal experience that he was speaking from. So from time to time, it can come up in a way that has a little bit of a sting to it. Yeah. I mean, the cynic in me also thinks that men really hate the idea of not being a necessary part of the equation. It's very, it's terrifying to them. <laughs> Threatening to them. Yeah. So I think tempering it with, I'm sure there is some validity or some truth and remembering that he may be projecting a lot of his fears on you as well, as I'm sure you know, as a therapist and have thought through, yeah. but just, I think, interesting to mention for listeners. And any other advice you would give to other women who are thinking about this path or on this journey? I would say that one of the reasons why I felt like I could make this decision is because I live in a community home. I have a great community network. I have parents who are supportive. And I knew that there was also some financial support available for me to be able to do this as a single woman. You know, I make good money, but not necessarily like, you know, the Bay Area is a tough place to live unless you make a lot of money. And so 
I recognize that there is some level of privilege in my decision to do this. And I name it because I don't necessarily assume that every woman who wants to, like that it's even the best decision because there are realities of the cost of raising a child and being able to have sustainable lifestyle. That said, I think if anyone really wants to do it, that they should absolutely follow their heart. But there are definitely a lot of factors that go into it being a sound decision. When I people ask me, though it's vulnerable to share, I feel like I have to be honest because I don't want people to just assume that like, well, anyone can do this, you know? So we have to be responsible as well as parents. Yeah, thank you. That is very important and something to think about for everyone. I'd love to check back in with you after you've had your baby and sort of follow up and hear how motherhood is for you and some reflections on that. Sounds good. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much, Siege. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. If you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go as Planned. It's available everywhere books are sold. And finally, I'm so excited to announce the upcoming launch of Motherhood Reimagined Tribe. Tribe is the essential resource for single motherhood. So whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to conceive, or raising donor-conceived children, then Motherhood Reimagined Tribe can help you embrace your own unique path to motherhood. With our informative guides, blogs, books, services, and support, Motherhood Reimagined Tribe is the perfect place to get the advice and support you need to become the mother you want to be. Tribe launches early next year, but I'm currently looking for founding members to join one of three Tribe Masterminds. These masterminds are small, intimate groups of women who are at the same stage of the journey as you. To begin with, I'll have a group of thinkers and triers, egg donor or embryo support, and solo pregnancy. As a founding member of Tribe Mastermind, you will not only get preferred pricing, you will get access to a huge content vault for information for every stage of the journey, weekly group calls with me to go over relevant topics and connect to others in your stage, and a community forum to connect with others at any time. This will be the cheapest price ever available, so don't miss your chance to join at this rate. If you're feeling really alone and isolated or get easily overwhelmed by the amount of information and decisions you have to make, make sure you don't miss this chance to connect with other women and get access to tons of research that's already been done for you. Head on over to the Motherhood Reimagined website or follow the link in the show notes to apply for your spot as a founding member. Join me next week when I speak with Stacy, who through an amazing turn of events ended up with one child adopted and one genetically her own within a space of a few months. She has the unique ability to talk about what it's like to have one child that's related to her and one that isn't. I can't wait for you to listen. Bye for now. Bye for now.